Hi, my name is Gary Weber, and I'm the pastor at Southside Baptist Church, and I want to thank you for listening to today's podcast. I know many of you listen on a regular basis, or maybe some of you are just joining us for the first time as churches move to online, but we want to give all of you an opportunity to support the ministry here at Southside Baptist Church, whether that's in our physical campus or right here through the virtual campus in the ministry of the podcast and the online services. You can contribute by going to ssbc.org and clicking the Give tab. There you can make a one-time gift or a recurring gift, and anything you can do would be greatly appreciated. Hey, we hope you're doing well. We'd love to hear from you. Enjoy today's message. So, um, you know, I don't know if any of you have ever heard uh, the name of Robert Fulgram, but Robert Fulgram was a person who uh, recognized and exemplified this idea that sometimes the most profound things in life are the simplest. And uh, he made a personal credo about 30 years ago. Uh, He just sat down and was really inspired to just kind of write out his personal mission statement, statement of faith, statement of belief. And it was so incredibly simple, and it became so popular that he actually turned it into a book that has become a bestseller, New York Times bestseller, sold a lot of copies. It's called All I Really Need to Know I Learned in Kindergarten. And here is what Robert Fulgram said Uh, as his personal credo that launched that book. Let me just read this to you. He said, all I really need to know about how to live and what to do and how to be, I learned in kindergarten. Wisdom was not at the top of the graduate school mountain, but there in the sand pile at Sunday school. These are the things I learned. Share everything. Play fair. Don't hit people. Put things back where you found them. Clean up your own mess. Don't take things that aren't yours. Say you're sorry when you hurt somebody. Wash your hands before you eat. Flush. (laughs) Warm cookies and cold milk are good for you. Live a balanced life. Learn some and think some and draw and paint and sing and dance and play and work every day some. Take a nap every afternoon. Amen. (laughs) When you go out into the world, watch out for traffic. Hold hands and stick together. Wonder. Remember the little seed in the styrofoam cup. The roots go down, the plant goes up, and nobody really knows how or why, but we are all like that. Goldfish and hamsters and white mice and even the little seed in the styrofoam cup, they all die. So do we. And then remember the Dick and Jane books and the first word you learned, the biggest word of all, look. Everything you need to know is in there somewhere. The golden rule and love and basic sanitation, ecology and politics and equality and sane living. Take any one of these items and extrapolate it into sophisticated adult terms and apply it to your family life or your work or your government or your world and it holds true and clear and firm. Think what a better world it would be if we all, the whole world, had cookies and milk about three o'clock every afternoon and then laid down with our blankies for a nap. (laughs) Or if all governments had as a basic policy to always put things back where they found them and to clean up their own mess. And it is still true, no matter how old you are, when you go out into the world, it's best to hold hands and stick together. Isn't that true? Man, it's so simple, isn't it? I mean, you hear that, and like, part of the reason that it is so profound is just because it is so simple, so obvious, and yet we know and see in that simplicity what is lacking in our world. You can look around at the world around you, and you're like, yeah, man, if everybody would just do those simple things, how much better 
would our world be? And, and maybe then you even back up and you say, how much better would our country be? And then you can back up even smaller and say, how much better would our city be? And then maybe you realize, well, wait, maybe, maybe we just should aim a little lower. How much better would our church be if we did that? And you think, how much better would our family be? But then you have to ask yourself, do I live that way? Am I doing those things? You know, it's so interesting to me how sometimes the, the simplest things in life are the most profound and yet the most difficult to actually accomplish and do. And we, of all people, of all creatures that God created, it is only humans that struggle to know how to be human. Like clams don't struggle to know how to be clams, right? Birds don't struggle to know how to be birds. I mean, everything that God created knows how to do and be itself perfectly except humans. We struggle to know how to do it. We struggle to know how to be human. It is a challenge for us, and we actually have to learn these things. We have to teach these things. This is why we have this idea, this longing, this, uh, this the desire among ourselves, and it's a, it's a huge conversation in our culture today about human rights. How do you define human rights? How do you define the best way to treat one another? Why do we struggle with this? Well, the answer goes all the way back in the Bible to the very beginning of creation as God created all things, and he said they were good. He created humans in, in his own image. He said, it is very good, very good. And yet, shortly after that story, what you find is in the fall, when humans decided, hey, we know better how to do this ourselves, and we took control of our own situation. We tried to take control of our own destiny, and suddenly the whole thing falls apart, and we're the only creature God created that then doesn't know how to do and be what he created us to do and to be, and that's to be human. So after the story of Adam and Eve, you come quickly to the story of Cain and Abel. And what you find is not only is our relationship with God broken because of our rebellious spirit, but our relationship with each other is broken. And so you see one human kill another human. And instinctively, we all know that's just not right. There's something wrong. There's something wrong with the world where we have to be told not to do that. And so God gives us Ten Commandments. Ten Commandments to know how to live, the best way to be human. Four of them relate to how we relate to him, and six of them, the, the majority of them, relate to how we get along with other people. So he gave us basic instructions like, hey, don't kill each other. Don't steal from each other. Don't commit adultery. All these basic ideas that you think seem so simple, things that we can learn about in kindergarten, and yet for hundreds and thousands of years, religious people and scholars and theologians and anthropologists have studied all of this to say we still don't know how to do it well. And it's not just people of God, but even secular cultures have discovered that this is a problem. They've discovered there need to be some sort of boundaries around the way we live as humans in order not to infringe upon the rights of other humans. So in 1755 BC, uh, there was the development of what's called Hammurabi's Code. This was a code that basically said, hey, since, we're not, since we don't know as humans how to get along with each other, we're going to put this down. And it's basically a law of retribution. And here's, here's the summary of Hammurabi's Code. Do to others as they have done to you. Do to others as they have done to you. If somebody does something to you, you have the right to do to them the same thing they did to you. And actually, we find this in the, in the Old Testament law as well. In the book of Leviticus, chapter 24, verse 17, it says this, whoever takes the human life shall surely be put to death. Whoever takes an animal's life shall make it good, life for life. If anyone injures his neighbor, as he has done, it shall be done to him. Fracture for fracture, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, whatever injury he has given a person shall be given to him. So this basic law of retribution that you can do to someone else what they've done to you. This is, this is called justice. 
Now, this was an improvement over Noah law at all because people understood that there would be consequences for their behavior. They're going to think twice before they strike someone. They're going to think twice before they steal something because they know that same thing can be done to them. So this inspired behavior modification based solely on our own self-interest because at the heart of it, isn't that really what motivates us? What's in this for me? I mean, that's kind of at the core of our humanity, of our fallen, broken humanity. I don't want anything bad to happen to me, so therefore it's in my best interest not to do something bad to somebody else. It's in my best interest to preserve my life, therefore I'll preserve other people's lives. But human nature takes even that and twists it and changes it into do to others before they do it to you, right? I mean, you just get the idea this person is probably going to steal that from me, so let me go ahead and preemptively take care of that. This person is probably going to attack me or attack my family, so let me go ahead and preemptively attack this person. This is where we get the idea in our modern culture of preemptive war, that a nation says, hey, I'm going to strike that nation before they get up enough military force to strike me, preemptive war. So this idea of do to others what they do to you quickly revolves back into the base instinct of our fallen nature, that we will do to someone else what we assume they would or want to do to us. So you see this breakdown, this breakdown of what it means to be human and how to treat other people. So enter some great philosophers, great teachers down through the ages. They recognize this shortcoming and they implement a better idea. So let me quote, first of all, from Confucius, this Chinese philosopher from about 551 BC. Here's what Confucius said to try to correct this in human nature and help us know how to treat other humans better. He said, do not do unto others what you would not want others to do unto you. Now you see what he did here? Hammurabi's code said, hey, if somebody strikes you, you can strike them back. Confucius said, well, let's improve on that. So before you just have to strike somebody back, just if, every, if, if no one will do bad things to other people, then nobody else has cause to do bad things back to them. So he tries to become proactive and, and improve upon it. In the book of Tobit, uh, from the third century BC, we find these words, watch yourself, my son, in everything you do and discipline yourself in all your conduct and what you hate, do not do to anyone. In other words, if you don't want them to steal from you, you don't steal from them. This is definitely an improvement. The great uh, rabbi and, and, and Jewish philosopher Hillel the Elder in 70 BC, he said this, What is hateful to do, do not do to your neighbor. That is the whole Torah. The rest is commentary. Go and learn. So this is not just the threat of negative consequences, but it's a proactive philosophy designed to keep people from violating other people's human rights. It's still motivated out of self-interest. This is still the world we live in today, isn't it? I mean, as you watch the news, as you hear things, you get this idea, hey, you don't want to be treated that way, so don't treat other people that way. But if they do treat you that way, justice requires that you take eye for eye and tooth for tooth. We revolve back down to Hammurabi's code, the law of retribution. Now, this whole idea doesn't address anything about human basic needs for help. Think about this. If we live by these codes that I'm not going to do to other people what I don't want them to do to me, that, that may make a better world, but it doesn't address problems like orphans in our world. People, children who have no, no parents, no one to care for them. It doesn't address the problem that we have of natural disasters and, and victims of, of disasters that come their way. Why would anyone help these situations? See, not doing for somebody else what I don't want them to do to me doesn't help the hungry person. 
And it doesn't, it, it doesn't take care of the people who are physically hurting or physically isolated. It, it does nothing to address those situations. It, 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 we revolve back basically to natural selection. That Darwin doesn't allow for any explanation of what we need to do to help other people. See, there's something instinctive in humans that said we're better than that. It's why when you watch the news and you see awful atrocities happen to people or to groups of people and you see that's just not right, we should live in a world that's better than that. It's why when you hear Robert Fulgram talk about what it, what it means to, to have everything you need to know taught to you in kindergarten, you're like, yes, the world would be better if we lived that way. Humans are designed in God's image to aspire for a better form of life than just simply surviving, than just simply not taking action against someone else that we wouldn't want taken against us. There's a desire inside of us that says when somebody's in need, you help them. It doesn't matter if they've done anything good for you first. You see something in need, you see somebody in need, you see a situation, there's something inside of us that says we should intervene. That's part of what it means to be created in God's image. There's something more proactive than just not doing to other people what we don't want them to do to us. And so, even though God created us in his image, that's how we're hardwired to live. The fall, our desire to live according to our own desire, separated us from that. God gives us these commands to say, hey, this is the best way to live. We still can't do it. We still struggle. So God himself comes and takes on flesh, and he says, let me show you how to do this. Let, let, me, let me demonstrate for you what it means to be human by the way I live and by the teachings of Jesus. And so we see these teachings of Jesus, again, so incredibly profound, so radical. These are the most widely quoted teachings of Jesus. They are the simplest of all the things he taught us, and yet they are the most rare in our world today. They're the, they're the things that when you see these things that Jesus said, they take your breath away. These are the things when you see them in somebody else, you're like, hey, that's the kind of person that I want my kids to be like. That's the kind of person I hope my kids marry. That's the kind of people I want to work for. When you see these things lived out in life, they're not, and it doesn't matter what your religious background is. It doesn't matter if you even have a religious background. It doesn't matter if you believe in the teachings of Jesus or if you go to church or not. Everybody recognizes these are part of what it means to be basic human beings. And here it is, the simplest thing he ever taught, the most profound, and yet the one thing that if we all would do it, it would change your life. It would change your family dynamic. It would change your work environment. It would change our church. It would change our city. It would change the world. And here's what it is. Jesus said, do to others as you would have them do to you. Do to others as you would have them do to you. And Matthew quotes him by adding this phrase, for, the sum, for this sums up all the law and the prophets. Everything Hammurabi taught you, everything in the Ten Commandments, everything in, in the code of conduct from your school, everything in your work policies, everything in the, in, the, in the congressional code, everything in the city ordinances, everything can be summed up in this simple phrase, do to others as you would have them do to you. Notice this is not what Confucius said, not what Talbot said, not what Hillel said. They just said, hey, don't do to other people what you don't want them to do to you. Jesus said, hey, that will keep you from, from doing bad things, but it will not help you do the right thing to truly embrace what it means to be the kind of human I created you to be. Do to others as you would have them do to you. It's proactive. It's positive. It points beyond ourselves as it points to God and how God has done for us what we couldn't do for ourselves. It's profitable. We'll see in a second. Hey, if you live this way, it is a profitable way to live. But, and here's where it's hard and here's why we don't do it, it's also a costly way to live. 
It's also a way that will ultimately cost you everything you have because you have to be willing to surrender everything you have in order to embrace the call that God has placed on you. To do what is the most simple, most profound, and yet what may be the hardest thing that Jesus ever told us to do. Do to others as you would have them do to you. Now let's take a look at this teaching in its context, in the full context, because Jesus uh, basically gives all kinds of examples, but it all centers around this one command. If you have a Bible, open with me to Luke chapter 6. I'll begin in verse 27 and continue on. Luke chapter 6 and following. Here's what Jesus said. Now Jesus has gathered, if you remember, he's gathered together um, his disciples, and he has, he's assembled his team. He's giving them instructions for the best way to live, the best way to be human. And here's what he says as it comes to relating to other human beings. But I say to you who hear, love your enemies. You're like, whoa, hold on there, Jesus. <laughs> you mean my ex? Yeah, your ex. You mean that boss who unfairly fired me? Yeah, him too. Love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who abuse you. To the one who strikes you on the cheek, offer the other also. And from one who takes away your cloak, do not withhold your tunic either. Give to everyone who begs from you. And from one who takes away your goods, do not demand them back. And as you wish that others would do to you, do so to them. If you love those who love you, right? Because that's what we do, right? We tend to love people who love us. You love me, I'll love you back. That's kind of how, the, how it works. If you love those who love you, what benefit is that to you? Even sinners love those who love them. If you do good to those who do good to you, what benefit is that to you? For even sinners do the same. And if you lend to those from whom you expect to receive, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners to get back the same amount. Jesus is saying, look, you can live by Hammurabi's code. You can live by the teachings of Confucius. That doesn't set you apart from anybody. Like, you just look like the rest of the world when you do that. I'm calling you to something better, something different, something higher. Even sinners do that. But love your enemies and do good and lend, expecting nothing in return. And your reward will be great, and you will be sons of the Most High, for he is kind to the ungrateful and the evil. Do you know why he says you will be sons and daughters of God when you do this because you never look more like God when you are giving away selflessly. You never look more like God when, than when you love your enemy, which is what he did for us. You never look like, more like God than when you lend and you give expecting nothing in return because that's exactly what God has done for us in Jesus Christ. And then he says, be merciful even as your Father in heaven is merciful. This is what the world lacks. This is what we instinctively know we want to see in other people. But what we have such a hard time recognizing in our world today is the mercy that we know God has given to us. It's the kind of mercy we extend to others. Judge not, and you will not be judged. Condemn not, and you will not be condemned. Forgive, and you will be forgiven. Give, and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, will, put, uh, will be put into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. With the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. So let me ask you, how much mercy do you want from God? How much forgiveness do you need? I mean, 
for your whole life, sure, that might be a lot, but how much mercy do you need? How much forgiveness do you need just for this week? Like for some of you just getting to church today, right? You already know you're running a deficit. How much, how much love do you want to experience from God? How much love do you hope God will pour into you? Well, how much love are you pouring into others? How much mercy are you extending to other people? Jesus said, hey, with, with the way you measure it out, it's going to be measured back to you. That, that this, your capacity, your ability to understand and receive God's mercy, God's love is dependent on your ability to also reflect those things to other people. There are two shocking things about this. As I read this and as I thought about this simple verse, it's even got a name, the golden rule. There are two things about it that really stood out in my mind. First of all, these teachings are so simple. They're so incredibly simple. They're like everything you need to know in kindergarten. They're so obvious, they're clear, they're direct, and they're memorable. You don't even have to know about Jesus. You've never even had to read the Bible, and you've heard some of these things already. Some of the most famous teachings Jesus ever gave, most memorable things, they are so incredibly simple. But the second thing that shocks me about this is how scarce all of this is. These things cause us to, they take our breath away when we see them in other people. How many people do you know who actually live like this? How many communities do you know where these are the guidelines or the rules for the way to live your life? And yet, we, we see it and we long for it in other people, but we don't re- often recognize it has to begin in me. But ultimately, it doesn't even begin in me. It begins by me understanding and opening my heart up to the fact that God has already done this for me in Christ Jesus. So I want to share just a simple principle with you. It is so, so simple that it may be easy to overlook. Uh, But I just want you to put this, dig, drill this deep in your head this week as you're dealing with your uh, people in your life who who may be hard to deal with, people who take advantage of you, people who are are maybe uh, people who are far from God themselves or who, who aren't people who are deserving of your love and your grace and your mercy and your forgiveness. I want you just to remember this. Love is as love does. Love is as love does. Matter of fact, can you just say that with me so I'm sure we all get it? Love is as love does. Love is as love does. See, here's here's the truth. My capacity to love God, my, my ability to love him, it expands as I learn to love other people. So so if if all I do in my life is love the people who love me, so I I love my wife, I love my children because they love me back in return. And and I, I do that. Jesus says, hey, that's great, but you know, even sinners and tax collectors do that. My capacity to receive God's love is probably only only as wide as uh, a reciprocal relationship. So God, this is what I've done for you, and now you can do this for me, and I do this for you. It's it's reciprocal. Like my family, we all have have sort of a commitment to love each other. The whole society understands and recognizes we're committed to love each other in our own household. Now, it doesn't mean we do it, doesn't mean we do it well, but it means that's kind of the understood. But if I want to expand my capacity to receive God's love, I have to go beyond people in my own household. I have to extend that even to the stranger. Now, that's, that would be a stretch, right? Somebody who hasn't done anything good for me. It's like the story of the Good Samaritan, and, and Jesus tells the story of the, you know, all the religious people walk by this guy laying on the side of the road, but a Samaritan comes and helps him. So, so if I extend my love past my family and to a wider circle where I'm going to love even strangers, well, God will increase my capacity to love him in return. But if I, ex- if I extend my love, if I expand my capacity to love even past strangers into the lives of people who have actually hurt me, 
In other words, according to Hammurabi, if they hurt me, what can I do? I can hurt them back. If they've stolen from me, I can steal back for them. And Jesus said, okay, this is where you have the opportunity to practice being human. This is where you have the opportunity to stand out in a dark, dark world. Because if you can love them, your capacity to love God will also expand. Because it's at that point that you understand that's how God loved you. That while you were sinning and offending him, he extends his love to you as well. 1 John 4, 19 through 21 says this, we love because he first loved us. In other words, what John is saying is you only love your spouse and your children because God first loved you. You wouldn't even have the capacity to love them if God hadn't first loved you. If God hadn't first demonstrated his love for you, you wouldn't even have the ability to love them. But if you want to expand that ability to love other people, if you come to understand God's love, if you expand your love for God, it will in turn expand your love for others. Because as you come to understand God's love for you, you know, God's love for me extended past a family relationship. When I was a stranger to him, he loved me. And even when I was an enemy of God, when I was doing everything in my life opposed to God's way, opposed to God's way of living, God demonstrated his love for me. He said, we love because God first loved us. Whoever claims to love God yet hates a brother or sister is a liar. That's a strong word. But what's John saying? You think, listen, if if you say you love God and you show up at church and you're worshiping and you're going through all the motions, but meanwhile, you you don't love the people closest to you, you're you're lying. Everything you're doing is, is a fraud. For whoever does not love their brother and sister whom they have seen cannot love God whom they have not seen. And he who has given us this command, anyone who loves God must also love his brother and sister. This basic idea, love is as love does. As God has demonstrated his love for you, and as you come to understand that love, so your capacity to extend that love to other people is also expanded. But as you expand your capacity to love others, to love strangers, to love enemies, your capacity to understand God's love also grows. And it's not just about love. It's also about your capacity to extend mercy and forgiveness to other people. That your capacity to extend forgiveness and mercy to others is completely dependent on your ability to understand God's mercy and love and forgiveness that he demonstrated to you. That as you come to understand God's mercy, as you come to understand God's forgiveness for you in Jesus, it expands your ability to love other people. It stretches you. So, so it, it, Jesus isn't saying it's going to be easy to love your neighbor. Jesus isn't saying it's going to be easy to love your enemy. Jesus is saying as you do that, it's like going to the gym and working out those muscles that haven't been worked out. It hurts. It's sore. But as you stretch those muscles, you increase your capacity to gain strength to understand God's love for you. The two go together. James 2.13 says this, Because judgment without mercy will be shown to anyone who has not been merciful. Mercy triumphs over judgment. See, what he's basically saying is, you live in a world where it's all about justice and judgment. Like, right, you know, according to Hammurabi's code, according to the city ordinances, according to all the rules and the laws of men, this is what is rightfully mine. Okay, Jesus, do you really want to live by that standard? Eye for an eye and tooth for a tooth? Because that's just sort of the basic code that by which we can survive together on the planet. That doesn't, ex- that doesn't extend uh, God's purpose or cause. That doesn't help feed orphans or care for widows or 
care for those in natural disasters or those who are at the end of their life. It doesn't care for those who are in prison. That's just sort of the basic standard for life. What you need to understand is that as mercy triumphs in your life, as you expand your ability to experience God's mercy and you pour it out on others, God increases your capacity to understand what he's done for you in Christ Jesus. Reminds me of the parable that Jesus told about the king. Um, He was a very wealthy king. And he had a servant who owed him a lot of money. Like it was, it was millions and millions of dollars according to our current standards. And the guy couldn't pay it back. And so he comes before the king and he's begging for the king's mercy. And the king is feeling very generous and he says, you know what? I forgive your debt entirely. You're forgiven. And the guy is really overwhelmed with, with his gratitude. And as he's leaving, he's going out of the steps of the palace And up comes another guy, another servant, who's coming into the palace. And this guy borrowed lunch money the day before. And so the first guy says to the second guy, hey, you owe me. You owe me lunch money from yesterday. And the guy's like, hey, I don't have it. And the first servant says, okay, well, off you go to debtor's prison for lunch money. You see, the first servant's problem was he didn't really understand what the king had done for him. He didn't really understand the extent of mercy and grace that he had been shown by the king. So therefore, he didn't have the capacity to extend it to other people. And because he didn't have the capacity to extend it to other people, the king said, hey, because you wouldn't forgive him, you're also not forgiven. And and he threw the guy in prison. See, our capacity to receive and experience God's love, our capacity to receive and experience God's mercy is completely dependent on our ability to extend it to others. And to the extent that we are not able to do that, it only means that we don't fully understand what Christ has done for us first. So what do you do? What do you do? You're not going to like this very much, okay? I'm just going to tell you right up front, you're not going to like this. Most of you are not going to do this. But I'm I'm just going to challenge you. That this will be hard, this will be, this will be incredibly, incredibly difficult. But, but listen, I believe this, and I don't believe it because it's in my thought or in my mind or heart. I believe it because I think it's what Jesus is teaching. If you will do this, if you will do this, I believe your capacity to understand and experience God's love and mercy in your life will grow exponentially. And as your understanding of God's love and mercy for you grows exponentially, your capacity to love others, to love enemies even, will also grow exponentially. What do you need to do to experience more of God's love? What do you need to do to experience more of God's mercy? Here it is. Jesus said it first. Do to others as you would have them do to you. Do to others as you would have them do to you. What does that look like? Well, here it is. Here's where you're not going to like this. Ready? First of all, think of the best thing you can do for the worst person you know and do it. Now, it doesn't get much more practical than that. Think of the best thing you can do for the worst person you know and do it. Now, let me give you some advice. Don't go up to them and say, hey, you're the worst person I know. (laughs) And my pastor told me to do the best thing I could think of for you. That doesn't count, all right? Doesn't count. It's just in your mind, worst person you know, what's the best thing you can do for them? You you think, but I could never do that. But isn't that what God has done for you in Christ Jesus? Isn't that the kind of love and mercy he's extended to you? And you're like, yeah, but Gary, you don't know what that person did to me. I don't. You're right. I have no idea. But do we really understand what our sin did to God? 
What is the best thing you can do for the worst person you know? Here's another thing you can do. Think of what you'd like someone to do for you and do it for them. Think of what you would like somebody to do for you, do it for them. Husbands, wives, children, parents, bosses, employees. Think about this. What would you like that person, your spouse, your child, your parent, your boss, your employee, what would you like them to do for you? Why don't you just go ahead and do it for them? Because this is what it means to live by this code. It's so simple, and yet it's so difficult. Third, think of someone to whom you are tempted to be mean. Now, I know that's probably not very many of you in here. You're not tempted to be mean. But think of someone to whom you are tempted to be mean and lavish generosity on them instead. In other words, do the opposite of what your, what your instincts are. Someone, for whatever reason, they just get under your skin. What is it about them that annoys you? And just say, you know what? I'm going to do something to demonstrate generosity to them instead. And this isn't just something for people in your house, your family. That's good. Jesus says, hey, that's great that you do that. But even sinners and tax collectors do this. It extends to the strangers, and it even extends as far as your enemies. And here's, here's what's so profound about this. Jesus said, do to others what you'd have them to do to you. If you can do this, you don't need Ten Commandments. You don't need Hammurabi's Code. You don't need all the, the federal collection of laws and state laws and city ordinances. You don't need all that. If you will just do for others what you want them to do for you, everything about being human suddenly falls into place. Jesus was asked one time by a religious person, he said, hey, you know, what's the, what's the most important law? Boil it down for me, Jesus. And Jesus said, Love God and love other people. It's that simple. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. And then he said it again, for all the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. Jesus could not make it simpler for how to be human and how to deal with other humans. He just simply said, do to other people as you would have them do to you. Love God and love other people because love is as love does. This is what God has done for you in Jesus Christ. And, and Jesus didn't just say this. You know, that would be one thing if he was just like a, a college professor, you know, spouting out all these great ideas or some religious person, preacher saying all these things. Jesus lived it out. The night before Jesus was arrested, betrayed and arrested and ultimately crucified, that night Jesus got with his disciples and he got down and he washed their feet. And in that crowd was Judas who would betray him, turn him over to the guards to be arrested. In that crowd was Peter, who was going to deny him three times. And Jesus already knew that. And Jesus got down and he washed their feet. Not because they washed his feet first. Nobody had done that. But because he recognized that it needed to be done and he did for them what he hoped they would do. And in fact, he gave them this commandment. He said, what I have done for you, now you do for other people, because love is as love does. And then after he finished and he put back on his outer garments and he took his place, he said, you guys, do you understand what I've done for you? If I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. This is a pattern, an example I'm giving you. And if you do this, if you live this way, not only is it the best way to be human, you will stand out and above. He said, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. All people will know you're my disciples by how many of my teachings you can quote. Nope. All people will know you're my disciples because of how religious you are. Nope. 
All people will know you're my disciples because of how smart you are and how much theological knowledge you have. No, all people will know you're my disciples by how you love one another. Because love is as love does. Listen, if you want to change your marriage, if you want to change your relationships in your home, if you want to change the culture at work, if you want to change the culture in our church, in our city, in our state, in our country, in the world, it starts with each one of us embracing the most basic teaching that Jesus ever gave. And listen, if you're here today and you don't even believe in Jesus, it doesn't matter because this you recognize and know this is the way you want humanity to operate. This is the kind of world you want to live in. God has demonstrated you this kind of love for you. And he's saying, now you go into the world and demonstrate that kind of love to others because love is as love does. Let's pray. Father, we thank you this morning for the simple teachings of Jesus, uh, simple and yet so profound, so memorable, that there's probably not anybody in this room who hasn't heard these teachings before. And yet, God, they're so rare in our world today. And Father, I just first feel it's important to confess that, Lord, I don't do this all the time. I struggle to be this kind of human. And yet I thank you for the example of Jesus. And I thank you even more that he is trying to stretch my capacity to love, uh, that I might love my enemies even as I was loved by you when I was a sinner and far away from God. God, I pray that it would change marriages. I pray that it would change work environments. I pray that it would change our church. It would change our country. Lord, I pray that none of us would be so overwhelmed with the need that we would fail to see those simple things, those simple and yet not easy things we can do in our own world to usher in your kingdom by living this way. God, help us to be the salt and light in this world. Help us to love others the way you've loved us. Help us to forgive the way we've been forgiven. Lord, increase our capacity by helping us to know more about you. And Lord, as we come to exercise that out in all the ways it will hurt, in all the painful ways, in all the costly ways, God, I pray that it would expand our capacity to receive more love from you. And that, Father, we just might be involved in an exponential growth of your kingdom right here in our own hearts and our families in your church and around the world. Father, be glorified in us, be glorified through us, and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you for listening. Like what you just heard? Take a moment and subscribe. You can find us on Apple Podcasts, Facebook, and YouTube. Just search SSBC Jacks. If you live in the Jacksonville area, we'd love to engage with you on Wednesdays or Sundays. You can find out about our service times, next-gen programming, and more at ssbc.org.